up next on Walking by Faith. And really what people tend to do is they tend to adopt a theology that allows them to live the way they want to live. And so literally what you do is you reinvent the gospel, or you reinvent God, literally. And what you do is you, you create a God that's just like you. Let me just say this. If your God likes everything you like and dislikes everything that you dislike, it's not the real one. Hello, I want to welcome you to Walking by Faith, and I'm so glad that you're with us. Now, we're going back to the beginnings of Christianity. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Jude, the epistle says this. It says to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. In other words, what Christianity is supposed to look like today in the 21st century is what it looked like in the 1st century, in the 2nd century. There shouldn't be a change. The faith, what Christians believe, was delivered once for all not just for uh, a group in the beginning, and now today we're going to have a different Christianity. In fact, Jesus is the head of the church. He bought the church with his own blood, and it's his, not yours, not mine, and none of us have a right to change the church. Yet we have people today that are trying to reinvent the church, but it's not right. And what we do when we reinvent the church is we make it in our image, in our likeness, instead of in his. So we're going back to the Apostles' Creed, the oldest creed in Christendom, a creed that literally billions of Christians throughout the centuries and the millennium have confessed. And we are going to unpack the creed. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be dynamic. I believe that your faith is going to grow. Your understanding of what Christianity is is going to grow. It's going to be exciting. Would you come with me right now as we go into this message as it begins? Now, as you know, we are in a series of messages we began last week entitled, I Believe. And it is about the Apostles' Creed. And we're going through unpacking the Apostles' Creed, now, which is the oldest creed in Christendom. And when, when I read the creed, one of the things I think about is that literally billions and billions and billions of Christians have confessed this creed over the last two millennium. And we're starting each session going through the creed together, making this our confession. So let's do it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. You know, so many people today approach the subject of Christianity or even religion kind of like they do a smorgasbord. They say, well, you know, I, 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 I really like lobster, but I don't like Brussels sprouts. 
So I'm leaving the Brussels sprouts, taking the lobster, don't want any broccoli. But, you know, I like fried okra and I like muskrat's ice cream. You know, and they just like, you know, I want this and I don't want that. Now, the thing with Christianity is you cannot do that. Now, it says this in Jude, the third verse. He said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. What Christians believe was delivered once for all. What Christians believed in the first century, in the second century, is what Christians are to believe in the 21st century. Now, notice he said, you'll have to contend earnestly. He's saying, you're going to have to fight because there's going to be a drift. People say that vision leaks, and it does. But truth leaks just as well, or drifts. And, and it's, so, it's so true that you have to fight sometimes to believe what you used to believe. Because you see circumstances, there's pressure from people, there's pressure from culture, uh, there's pressure from circumstances, there's pressure from the devil, and there is a tendency to drift, right? So he says, you're going to have to contend earnestly for the faith. And I believe that it is true that the farther we get from the actual events, the, the more we need to contend and fight for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Now, where we come from as a church, as Christians, is we believe that the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God, which simply means it is God speaking to us. It is God-breathed, and it is true. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed, all right? And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And the Bible claims the unique privilege of being the means through which God speaks to humanity and that it possesses absolute truth. Again, the Apostles' Creed, it is the oldest creed in Christendom. Right. Now, Christianity belongs to Jesus. He is the head of the church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says that he purchased the church with his own blood. It belongs to him. He said, I will build my church. Who does the church belong to? Jesus. He said, it's my church. It's not yours. It's not mine. And because of that, no person has any right to reinvent the church, to change what Christians believe. Literally, the word church, in the Greek, it's the word ekklesia. And it means the called out group, the called out group, right? The church is literally called out of culture to be different, to be a part of a different kingdom, right? And so the church is always going to look different than what the world looks like. All right. Now, we began last week looking at the first statement of the creed. And again, it says, we, 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 we use the creed today and we say, I believe. The original actually said, we believe in God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. And of course, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the Bible does not tell us how old the earth is. Right? The Bible is not trying to argue with science or anybody about that subject. 
But I think it's very interesting that many young people lose their faith over the issue of creation. And I want to give you the three basic theories that are out there concerning creation that different Christians hold. Right? The first one is very simply a six-day creation, six 24-hour days, that someplace between six and 10,000 years ago, God created the earth. The second theory is, or I could say interpretation instead of theory, the second interpretation is that those days were not 24 hours, that those days were perhaps billions of years old. The third theory, and I want to take just a few moments on this, is referred to often as the gap theory. And in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And the earth was without form. The Hebrew word was Yahweh is better translated became. In fact, it's translated became 67 times, came and came to pass 505 times, right? And so the, the theory goes this way, that something happened. I, can, I call it theory again. I guess it's a theory, but it's also an interpretation of Scripture, that the earth became without form and void. In fact, in Isaiah 45, it says, He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. Another translation said, he made the world to be lived in, not a place of empty chaos, right? So what, the, what, what some Bible translators say is that in between Genesis 1 and 1 and Genesis 1, 2, something catastrophic happened and the earth became void and without form. Another translation says that it was unorganized and empty. Right. In Genesis 1.1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word bara, which means to create out of nothing. Right? But if you look in Genesis chapter 3, God is using existing material to do his creation. Again, Hebrews 11.3, it says that, this, that things that are seen were not made of things that are visible. That God created out of nothing. Right? But yet in Exodus chapter 20, it says, For in six days the Lord made Asha the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. And Asha means to make out of already existing material. So the, the interpretation is that someplace in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, there was this catastrophic event, and the earth became void and without form. But that wasn't the way that God originally created it. When he originally created it, he created it to be inhabited. Now, somebody says, what happened? Again, um, some Bible scholars take us to Ezekiel chapter 28, which talks about Satan. And let me just read a little portion of this. It says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up the lamentation against the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord, you were the seal of perfection. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. Then workmanship of your tabrets and pipes was prepared for you in the day you were created. Now this person, being, was never born. They were created. 
you were the anointed cherub who covers. It's talking about Satan, who before he sinned was a cherub angel. And notice that it says that he covered. It literally means to protect and rule. Right? He said, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and sin. Therefore, I cast you as a catastrophe, as a catastrophe, profane thing out of the mountain of God. And what Bible scholars say is that they, they believe Satan was here on earth before Adam and Eve and that he rebelled against God, that the area that he ruled over was the earth. There was this catastrophe that took place on the earth. And that's how the earth became void and without form, right? Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I also think that it's interesting that when God destroyed the earth with a flood in the days of Noah, that God said to Noah to replenish the earth. The same thing that he said to Adam and Eve. He told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and replenish the earth. Now, the one thing that I believe, personally, I believe that whatever theology we have about creation, we have to have a real Adam and a real Eve. Jesus said this, haven't you read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? He's talking about Adam and Eve. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 mentions Adam. It calls him Jesus, the last Adam, and Adam that was born, or excuse me, that was married to Eve is referred to as the first Adam who sinned and got us into trouble. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Who was that guy? That was Adam. And in my mind, no matter what theology we have concerning creation, we have to have a theology that has a real Adam and a real Eve. Second line of the Apostles' Creed. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So I want to take a few minutes and I want to talk to you about the theology of Jesus. Right? John chapter 1. John the apostle that was one of the three that were the closest to Jesus, who sat right next to Jesus the night he was betrayed, wrote and said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So it's saying here that Jesus was in the beginning with God, and he was God, that he existed for eternity past. That's why in Isaiah, when he's prophesying, he says, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Now notice it says a child is born, but a son is given. When it says a child is born, it's talking about Jesus' physical earthly body, that he became a human being. But to say that a son is given is saying that Jesus preexisted in heaven and he had to be given from heaven. So in Hebrews chapter 10, as Jesus is about to be born, he said this. How many of you were saying something when you were about to be born? 
Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Jesus has always existed. He was in the beginning was with God and he was God. And it says all things were created by him. In other words, when God said in the beginning, excuse me, in the beginning, when God said, let there be light, it was Jesus who said, let there be light. All things were created by him. So Jesus said, let there be light. But yet he left heaven and came into a physical body like yours and mine. He left heaven and became a human being. Completely God, completely human. Now it says his only son. Now, how can you have somebody who has existed for eternity be a son? How many of that one's kind of bothered you? How many of the whole Trinity thing it like, like makes your head go tilt? All right. And, and by the way, let me just say this. If, if you could figure God out, he wouldn't be much of a God. Right? And the Bible talks about mysteries in several places. And if we could figure everything out, all right, it wouldn't be a mystery. But there are just some things that we will not understand in this life. Before we get right back into today's message, I want to just take a moment and share a testimony with you so you can celebrate with us. Right? Here at Walking by Faith, we're here to save souls, to heal hearts, to transform lives. And we want to thank you for your prayers and your support. Now, this message, this came from Sri Lanka. And the individual writes and says, my mother was watching your program on God TV last week and told me she prayed to receive Jesus Christ. Thanks for speaking the word of truth so that she could receive it. Again, changing lives, seeing people saved, lives transformed is what walking by faith is all about. And it's possible because of your giving and your prayers. You know, Jesus said that when just one sinner repents, the angels rejoice in heaven. And it is so true. And we are seeing so many people's lives changed. And I want you to become a partner with us. So that not only where you are today, but literally around the world in over 170 nations, people can hear this message. Your gift will be used to win souls, to heal hearts and transform lives. Thank you for partnering with us. But let me talk to you just a moment about Jesus as the son. Colossians 1.15. He existed before everything, was created, and is supreme over all creation. Another translation, rakes higher than and is the firstborn over, ranks higher than, and is the firstborn over. Another translation, the son is first. He's over all creation. Christ ranks higher than all the things that have been made. And my favorite again is he ranks higher than, and is the firstborn over. Jesus in the Trinity has the position of a firstborn son and relates to God the Father as a firstborn son relates to his father. And that's the reason that he's referred to as the firstborn son. Now, in Acts, somebody said, well, when did God beget him? Because it tells us when in Acts chapter 13. It says, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. It is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son today, I have begotten thee. When did Jesus become the begotten? When God raised him from the dead. 
When God raised him from the dead, God said, you are my son today. Today I have begotten you. That's why it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. But how many know there was a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth? And your number, if you're a believer, is in there somewhere. My number is in there somewhere. All right? Every one of us are part of the family of God. And Jesus is the firstborn. It says this in Revelation 1 in verse 4. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the one who purchased us. He's the one who washed us from our sins with his own blood. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, being found in appearance as a man. Other translation, after he became a man. Another translation, after he had appeared in human form. And the best of those is after he became a man. Because Jesus became human. And when you get to heaven, he is God. But do you know what? He is still in a human body. It's a glorified body, but it is a human body. And he will be in that body for all of eternity. That was part of the price that he paid to redeem us. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now you remember the, the, the phrase that we're looking at in the Apostles' Creed. In Jesus Christ, the only Son, his only Son, our Lord. And I want to just take a minute and talk about Jesus as Lord. Right here in Philippians, it says, therefore God has highly exalted him. Why? Because he humbled himself. Because he became a man to redeem us. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now notice that Jesus' name is supreme in three places. In heaven, we could say in God's realm. On earth, in the human realm. And under the earth, we could say in the demonic realm. Now in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, We know that we're of God, and the whole world lies under the sway the control, the power, the grip of the wicked one. The whole world is under the power, the sway, the control of the wicked one. There literally is a demonic kingdom. Satan rules in that kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says, It was he who rescued us from the grip of the power of darkness. And translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Another translation says it was he who rescued us from the power of darkness and established us as citizens in the kingdom of his beloved son. My favorite translation says this. For he has rescued us out of the darkness and gloom 
of Satan's kingdom and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. See, in this world, there's two kingdoms. Jesus referred to Satan and called him the, called him the prince of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Satan is called the God with a small g of this world. That's why the world is under his control, under his sway, under his power. Right? But when you confess Jesus as Lord, you are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Somebody said, well, why are people under Satan's domain? Well, Romans 5, 12 explains it like this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sin. God created Adam and Eve and he put in Adam and Eve everything that he wanted for all people. But they sinned. They bowed their knee to Satan. Adam made a choice that affected you. You were in Adam. And his choice affected you because of what he did, death, sin, how can I say it? Sickness, disease, war, pestilence, everything came into the world. And you and I are living with the consequences because of what our representative, Adam, did. And Satan came and literally took Adam's authority, and he's been using it in this world ever since. But for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You know, if, if you've been listening today, if something on the inside of you just, is just saying, I need to get right with God. I need to know I'm forgiven. I want to live for God. If that's you, I want to invite you to bow your head to pray a prayer right now to receive Jesus and receive the forgiveness that he offers you. As, as you repeat these words, just make them your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. And I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. Thank you for forgiving me, for making me a new person on the inside a part of your family forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that simple prayer, God heard that prayer, and you're forgiven and you're right with God. Now, I wrote a book to help you keep growing spiritually, and I want to send it to you free of charge. All you need to do is contact us. All the information is right there on your screen. Hey, thank you for being with us. God bless you. In Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, If any two of you agree concerning a matter on earth, it shall be done for you. We believe that God acts powerfully when we come to him in prayer. Please call now to let us know of your prayer requests so we can begin praying for you. Thank you for watching Walking by Faith. Walking by Faith is made possible in part by the generous gifts of our viewers. 
If you would like to contribute to reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ through this program, please contact us at Walking by Faith, 5120 Ivan Rest Avenue Southwest, Granville, Michigan, 49418.